read the scripture today as, on, as we conclude Acts. Uh, in case you don't know, my name is Landon. This is my wife, Tara. Uh, we've been coming to church here for 10 years. I think it's been 10 years. Uh, I was just in college, didn't really know what my future was like. Yeah, 10 years this month. Um, and so, yeah, we got married coming to this church. We've had four kids coming to this church. So we're just here for the long haul. So 10 years and counting. So, yeah. And so Tara's going to read the scripture for us. Okay, how do you say that word? Caesarea. Okay. <laughs> Leaving the next, okay, sorry. We're reading Acts 21, verse 8 through 15. I'm going to read from my Bible app with the NIV to match the screen. Verse eight says, leaving, in, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the, the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. And now let's say our declaration together. If you have your Bible, just hold it in the air. Let's say this with unity and boldness together. Here we go. This is my Bible. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. And I will live by every command. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Praise God, everybody. I'm so glad to see you here on Sunday. And this... If you're new, uh, this is the last of our summer um, series teaching through the book of Acts. And this is um, lesson number 10. And so I'm tasked with to try to guide you through the last uh, eight chapters of the book of Acts. And we are going to, we're going to go through some historical um, events that happen and then we're going to pull out what I believe are some prophetic words for us to receive in this day and age that we live in and then afterwards we're going to share communion together we're going to close our teaching on the book of Acts today having the c communion okay so are you ready for that well we said from the very beginning everybody that the book of Acts was written to show us the ongoing work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through his church. And boy, we have, we have really seen some incredible things that God worked through the, through the Spirit into his church. And one of the fascinating things that I have observed many times is how much the Holy Spirit directed the early church leaders and the everyday Joes 
uh, concerning what to do and where to go and how to share their faith. It's very interesting that the Holy Spirit spoke um, through dreams and visions and prophecies, but he also spoke strongly through inner impressions, convictions, compelling um, things where Paul says, I was constrained by the Spirit to go here and to do this. In fact, Paul had, a, had heard strongly from the Holy Spirit that he was to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. In fact, he twice in Acts chapter 21, the people get a prophetic word, his friends, his churchgoers, and they try to stop him from going. In fact, it's really interesting that the prophetic word comes that's warning him of the dangers there. In fact, um, Tara didn't read this, but in Acts chapter 21, verse 4, um, Luke is writing, and when they arrive in Tyre before they went to Caesarea, of which from Caesarea the apostle Paul would go to Rome, whenever they were in Tyre, verse 21 of chapter 24 says that, that they sought out some disciples that lived in that city. They stayed there for seven days waiting for the boat to be ready. And then it says, and through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, I find that really interesting that through the Spirit, they urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But he had previously, in chapter 20, told the elders at Ephesus, I'm going to put it on the screen, I want you to see this, he told the elders at Ephesus that I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. In fact, it, in other translations says I'm constrained, I'm compelled, but, but I am, er, there's an urgency in my spirit that God put there by the Spirit for me to go to Jerusalem. And he said, I don't know what awaits me, but the Holy Spirit tells me that in city after city, there's jail time that's waiting for me and a lot of suffering to be had. But my life is, not, is worthy of nothing unless I finish the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. I wish that I had underlined that word assigned me, assigned me, assigned me, because the Apostle Paul was living on assignment. And I think that one of the great lessons in the book of Acts is just that, that we are on assignment. And most of the time, I'm not fussing, I'm just saying most of the time, we're living day by day and taking life as it comes and not fully aware of how we are to be living on assignment, listening to the Holy Spirit. So in Caesarea, when, the, when Agabus shows up and he grabs Paul's equipment and he prophesies the man who wears this when he goes to Jerusalem is going to be attacked, Luke says with all of the others, this is from the Lord, you're not supposed to go. Well, what is he supposed to do? Because he is bound by the Spirit to go. Now a prophetic word comes and says that something bad's going to happen to you. So they assume, don't go. We don't want anything bad to happen to you. Even Luke said, we, I jumped in there. I'm like, please don't go. We begged him, but he would not be dissuaded. There is a lesson here, everybody. And... Um, you know, next month, beginning next week, I'm going to start a series here 
called Hearing God, the Power of the Prophetic. And we're going to try our best to find the, a, a great understanding of the balance when it comes to hearing God. And one of the things that we will talk about is that oftentimes people who are not able to hear God for themselves, they go looking for personal prophecy. They want somebody else to tell them what God wants them to do. I love this about the Apostle Paul. He's like, he's hearing from God, and he knew in his spirit that this was God, that he was going, and the prophecy was just going to confirm, get ready, because it's going to be a mess when you get there. But he would not be dissuaded. All right? Everybody wants you to see this. There was this urgency by the Spirit for him to go to Jerusalem, and this urgency was twofold. I'm going to give this to you. I'm sure there might have been other reasons, but here's two observations. Number one, the Apostle Paul needed to go to Jerusalem because he loved the unbelieving Jews that lived there. And now these are generations. I mean, this is, this is decades after um, Paul had his first conversion, and he has traveled on three missionary journeys, and he just has seen miracle after miracle where the risen Jesus by the Spirit has been operating and opening up entire cities. I mean, they've taken on principalities and powers and established churches. And I know that he's thinking, when I get, when I get to Jerusalem and I give them the report, it's undisputed what God is doing. That perhaps they will soften their heart and they will come to realize that the prophets, when they predicted the Messiah to come, that Jesus is the chosen one, and they will receive the gospel. He just needed to go stand on the, on the stairs, on the steps of the temple, and tell them his story. And he was bound to do that. I'm going no matter what. If they kill me, I die. If they beat me, I'm going to be sore. But I'm going to Jerusalem. He had that urgency. Here's the second reason why uh, he was going is because for the last couple of years, really longer than that, the persecuted church in Jerusalem was suffering so terribly. I mean, they were starving. And, and the Jews that were there that were unbelievers, they did nothing to help. But the Gentile churches had been giving. They'd been giving offering after offering. And Paul had been saving up the money, and he was determined that I'm going to show them. See, this, in his mind, he wanted to show them that the Gentiles and the Jews, the believing Gentiles and the believing Jews, they are now one, and they are to love one another. He took the two, and he made them into one new people, and they're united by Jesus. And he was determined to bring that offering and put it in the pastor of that church's hands and meet with that church and represent the Gentile church because there was still this tension between are Gentiles really saved? Can Jews really accept them? But that money was a connecting force. I mean, listen, you think, hey, I'm going to give $20 today. I hope they do good with it. You, you need to think bigger than that, everybody, because your, your offerings, these, this is kingdom stuff that we're talking about. And, and, and the Apostle Paul brought that money, and he delivered to James, and it touched his heart. So these were the two reasons why he was so compelled. And so in chapter 21, verse 16 through 40, 
It just so happens to be the Feast of Pentecost. I find this is very interesting, that the Apostle Paul determined to go to Jerusalem. He left all of his buddies weeping and crying because they think he's going to be killed. But he leaves Caesarea and he goes to Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. And I'm just going to give you some details of what happened because this is so central to what the book of Acts is all about. And so if you're taking notes in your little booklet or you want to transpose them to the booklet, let me just give you the rundown of what happened there. It's so much to read. I'm just going to give you the highlights of what happened. Okay, the first thing is that when he gets there, he gives a report to James about how many thousands and thousands of Gentiles are coming to Christ and that James is the lead pastor of the church of Jerusalem and the church celebrates and James celebrates with them and they receive the offering. So he wanted to give the report of what God is doing. I mean, we're talking about churches that are established in Philippi and Ephesus and Thessalonica in Corinth. So many things were happening and he was telling them firsthand. And then James responds and tells him about this malicious rumor. And he's talking about the Jews that hate him because they they have concocted a lie, which is a false accusation against against the Apostle Paul. And what they're claiming is that when he is traveling, the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul of Tarsus, that now he's traveling around and he's going to all of the synagogues, which he did do that. Wherever city he went in, he went to the synagogue. And they said, well, he's telling the Jews in the synagogues that live among the Gentiles, they should not, they should no longer do, uh, commit themselves to the practices of the law of Moses and they should stop circumcising their children. Well, Paul was not telling the Jews that. He was simply saying to the Gentiles, you don't have to take on the, the religious elements of the law and circumcise your children because faith in Jesus is enough. Well, they made up the lie and so they hated him and they accused him of teaching these things. And so they... He came up with a, a, a plan for Paul to purify himself with a Nazarite vow. He shaves his head and he goes to the temple and he's worshiping. But then they, he was recognized. I'll read this to you. Acts 21, verse 27. It says, and the men that recognized him grabbed him. And they started yelling for all of the men of Israel to help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere And tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple. Even defiles it. uh, This holy place by bringing Gentiles in. Because earlier in the day. He had brought an Ephesian Gentile. Trophimus. Into the court of the Gentiles. Which they were allowed to go. But the whole city was rocked by these accusations. And a riot broke out. Paul was grabbed. Dragged out of the temple. Immediately the gates were behind him and they were trying to kill him. They were beating him, doing everything that they could trying to kill him. Well, word got to the Roman commander. Remember, Jerusalem was under the um, government, uh, of the Roman government, under the power of the Roman government. And so the Roman commander heard about the riot. He sends troops. Um, Well... Verse 31 says, as they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called for out the soldiers and officers. They ran to the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and his troops coming, well, they stopped beating him. 
So he was rescued by a Roman commander. And then uh, what's interesting here is that this Roman commander mistook Paul, the Apostle Paul, for being a... Um, Egyptian revolutionary, which he, he, he was not, obviously, everybody. But Paul corrected him because he was about to have him flogged. And Paul corrected him, that's not who I am. And, and then he asked for a request. And that request was, I want to speak to the crowd. So uh, there were some steps in the temple and the commander allowed the apostle Paul to get up and he silenced the crowd. This is pretty amazing, everybody. This was the prophetic answer to what God was saying, of what the Holy Spirit put on the apostles of Paul's heart. So he's standing there in the colonnade, and he begins to tell his whole story. And here's one thing that's interesting, is that he begins speaking in Aramaic. Now, the Roman commander didn't understand Aramaic, but when Paul began to speak in Aramaic, it stunned the crowd, because they all understood that and they all went silent so the commander's there he doesn't hear what Paul is saying but Paul basically shares his testimony he gives his background he was born in in Tarsus he was trained by a Pharisee named Gamaliel Landon talked about that a couple of weeks ago he he shared about his vision how that he was on his way to Damascus to arrest and bring Christians to trial to have them executed. And when this happened, a bright shining light knocked him down and he heard the voice of Jesus. He was blinded. He shares the whole testimony. They're listening. They're silent. They, I'm talking about the mob that was just trying to kill him have gone completely silent as this testimony of Jesus goes forth. And Paul's got to be thinking, this is cool. I'm sure, you know, it's like what happens to me when I'm preaching. And one side of my brain is preaching the message. The other side of my brain is getting really excited about what I'm hearing myself say. And so this is what's happening. He's like, he's preaching and he's excited and things are going well. And, you know, everything is happening. It's just an incredible scene. And let's zero in in chapter 22. Here's some fascinating conclusion of his testimony. He says this, after I returned to Jerusalem, he's speaking in Aramaic, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance, and I saw a vision of Jesus, now he's using the name Jesus, I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry up, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But I argue, they, Lord, certainly they know that in every synagogue I've, I, I have imprisoned and beaten those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement with your witness, Stephen, being killed. I stood by and kept the coats, and I, I, I took off when they stoned, that they had taken off when I stoned him. But the Lord said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That last sentence, they're all quiet. But when he said that God said, go, because I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, well, that was the wrong thing to say. Because when he said that, the crowd listened, verse 22, until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, kill him. He ain't worthy to be alive. They yelled and threw off their coats and they tossed handfuls of dust in the air. Now, let me just say something here, everybody. 
the Jews were not against the Gentiles being preached to. In fact, there was opportunities for the Gentiles to become proselytes. They could come, but they had to accept, they had to convert into Judaism. That means they would have to become Jewish in customs. They would have to be circumcised. And as long as they were preaching Judaism to them, the law of Moses, the evidence of circumcision, then they were fine with that. But Jesus called Paul to a law-free Gentile mission. Hello, everybody. This was a big deal. This is what the Lord called Paul to. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Everybody say it. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Say it, everybody. This is the message of Acts. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, that's why they started throwing dust in the air. Because they did not receive this gospel that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul was claiming that he had divine approval for the idea that the Jews and Gentiles could have equal standing before God by putting their faith in Jesus of Nazareth, who they killed, but who has now risen from the dead. And his testimony, I'm telling you, this word, it caused the conflict. And they went nuts again trying to kill him. So I find this very interesting because here's the problem, everybody. When the Jews in Jerusalem rejected this message, they were rejecting Jesus and resisting God's provision for them as a Messiah. This is the very reason why when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to be crucified, that he stopped and he looked over the city and he wept over Jerusalem. He wept and he cried because he foresaw that when they reject him, then the city would be destroyed. 20 years later, after Paul preached on the, on the steps of the temple, this message, in a short amount of 20 years later, Titus marched on Jerusalem and destroyed. They say that over a million Jews were massacred and killed. They were starved to death, and Jerusalem was left to ruin and rubble. I'm fully convinced if they would have accepted the Messiah, then they could have avoided that judgment that came upon them. And this is why the Apostle Paul was so, felt this urgency to go there and present the gospel. Well, after uh, he said, God called me to the Gentiles, they began to attack him again. The Roman commander arrests him again. And he uh, puts him in custody and demands that he be flogged. Now, basically, they were going to whip him until he almost died because he was disturbing the peace. If you read through these stories, then you'll know that the Apostle Paul, right when they were breaking the whip out, said, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen? And when he said, I'm a Roman citizen, then the commander freaked out. In fact, he got so afraid, and the Apostle Paul was Saul of Tarsus, who was born a Roman citizen. And even during that day, there were opportunities where... uh, Rome, Rome was trying to get as much money as they could so you could buy your way into Roman citizenship even if you were a Jew. In fact, that Roman commander had done that very thing. 
And so he backed off of him, and he was afraid. And so the, look at verse 30 of Acts 22. So the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all of the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. It's, I find this very interesting because the Sanhedrin was the supreme court of the Jewish nation. And so the chief priest is there, and there are all kinds of people, Pharisees, Sadducees. And Well, let me just read it to you since we're studying the book of Acts. Acts 23, verse 6, Paul is before the Sanhedrin. The Roman commander is there. Why do they, they hate you so much? And then Paul, knowing that some, well, let me just say this. It was going nowhere. The trial was going nowhere. So the apostle Paul says, I'm gonna, i got to get out of this somehow. So knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, he called, the San, he, he called out to the Sanhedrin and he said, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees, and I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. They got so angry because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees believed when you're dead, you're dead. And they began fighting one another. It's like God dropped confusion on the whole Sanhedrin. They start fighting one another. The dispute became so violent, the commander once again steps in and he saves Paul from being torn to pieces. And he ordered them to break up the whole procedure. Now... Everybody, can I just give you a little bit of a spiritual application here? I really think that, that the Apostle Paul in his mind was not thinking about a defeated trip on his way to Jerusalem. I, I think that in his mind he thought they would listen to him, that he could give evidence of the miracles, that his testimony about Jesus being alive would be heard. But it wasn't. And they rejected him. And they wanted to kill him. I'm sure that the Apostle Paul is dis disappointed and discouraged. No doubt that the re rejection of Jesus might even have felt like that somehow he personally had failed. Even though the Holy Spirit warned him, the opposition's waiting for you. I'm sure that he expected the people that he loved to listen to him and to come to faith. And I wonder how many times have you in your life looked at people that you loved and thought, why did they keep rejecting Jesus? Why can't they listen and hear? Life would be so much better if they would surrender their hearts to the Lord. You know, doesn't your heart break when people that you love and love you reject Jesus or even reject you and your faith? Anybody ever been there? And so now all of that has happened and now he's imprisoned, discouraged, but Jesus shows up again in the middle of the night during his deep discouragement. Verse 11 says, The following night the Lord stood near Paul don't miss this, everybody. The following night, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ who brought him to his knees, who's been leading him by his spirit, stood near Paul and he, and he said these words, take courage. 
as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Everybody, would you listen to this? Your calling, your assignment is the testimony of Jesus. If you're taking notes, you ought to write that down. This is our assignment. It's the testimony of Jesus to tell your story to those who don't believe and to be bold about it. That's all the Lord is asking. You can't save anybody. You can't convince anybody. But you can testify about what Jesus has done in your life. Luke didn't give us a whole bunch of details in the book of Acts after all this happened. But it appears that Paul had finished his assignment in Jerusalem. That the Lord had sent him there for one last opportunity for the Jews to repent. And so from this moment, while he's under custody, there's a transition that happens. And Paul is determined now from Jerusalem to go to Rome. This is pretty amazing when you think about how the, the gospel penetrated the major cities that were in civilization, civilization that, that day. Jerusalem, Antioch, Ephesus, and now Rome. Paul is going to Rome. And I, I guess what I want to give to you today, everybody, is that when you're living on assignment... There are some particular things that you ought to keep in mind. These are the things I've gleaned from the book of Acts when living on assignment. And here's number one. I want you to see this because number one, I think we need the ability to recognize the presence of God. To recognize the presence of God. I, the apostle Paul was so skilled at this. This is God. This is not God. All through the book of Acts, I think about the little demonized girl that was testifying in Philippi that these are men of the most high God. And Paul's like, something's not right. That's not the presence of God on her. That's the devil. He was able to discern this. I'm saying that you learning how to discern the presence of God so that you can be led by the spirit and not led by the flesh or not deceived by the enemy. The book tells us that we have an unction of the Holy Spirit that's able to identify not just the presence of God, but the presence of truth. Have you ever been involved in something and it looks like God, but it's not God? It, it, it look, the appearance is that these are all God's people, but something's off. You know down in your knower, this is, God's not here. And this is one of the most important things is for you to recognize the presence of God. Some of you, the first day that you walked into this church, I'm not patting myself or anybody on the back, but the first day you walked into this church, you recognized the presence of God. And it was a done deal for you because you walked in and you go, this is right. This feels right. These people are right to me. And how many of you know that this is not a perfect church? We make a lot of mistakes. But the presence of God transcends our humanness and if we will recognize the presence of God, we can be led by the Spirit of God. So when he goes in a trance, he's like, that was God. When Jesus shows up, that was God. When Jesus speaks, he hears, he goes, that's God. He recognized the presence of God. I mean, the following night, discouraged, the Lord came and stood by him. I want to challenge you in this, everybody. Get close to the Spirit so you can recognize the presence of God. 
Here's the second thing that I have found when you're living on assignment like they were in the book of Acts is learn how to rest in the promises of God. Rest in the promises of God. Everybody say that with me. Rest in the promises of God. Do you know, I mean, think about it. The Apostle Paul had this promise. You're going to Jerusalem. You're not going to be killed there because I'm sending you to Rome. It was a promise. So when Agabus and all the prophets were saying, don't go to Jerusalem, and they're begging him, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go, he put his rest in the promises of God. I've got to go because God promised me something. And I'm trusting in the promises of God. No matter what the circumstances look like in my life, God has given promises, and I'm going to rest in those promises. Some of you are there right now. You're struggling right now because you're like, when, God, when, God, and all this is terrible. Everything that's bad that could happen is happening. Well, I know the Apostle Paul felt like that. I mean... After this whole riot happened in the Sanhedrin, there were 40-some-odd men that came to the chief priests, and, and they had taken a vow. They made a plot. They decided they are going to kill him. They, the, here was their vow. We're not going to eat until Paul is dead. And so they made a vow. And it's interesting, Luke says that, that Paul had a nephew. I don't even know who the guy is. I don't even know who his sister was. But Luke says a nephew of Paul's heard about the plot, he comes to the Roman commander and says, there's a plot to kill him. Well, the Roman commander now is like, well, we're going to have to get him out of town. So get this, 9 o'clock in the evening, the Roman uh, commander of the city transfers the Apostle Paul to Caesarea. Now, let me show you a map. Where's my little clicker? Thank, thanks. I left it up there. Let's put a map on, on the screen. I want to show you something, everybody. So, so here's Jerusalem. So Paul is here, and now they're going to send him to Caesarea. This little lavender, uh, what, I want you, what I want you to see is the, the green line here. I know we got a bunch of them because these are all of Paul's journeys. So the commander in Jerusalem says, we're going to send him to Caesarea. We're going to send him to Governor Felix. And let him deal. we got to get him out of the city. I find it so interesting that this uh, Roman commander, he wasn't playing. He, he, he gave him an escort of 470 soldiers to go about 30 miles. 200 spearmen, 70 mounted troops. Here's little old Apostle Paul being treated like a chief executive. They put him on a horse and they took him to Caesarea. And there he met Felix, who was the governor, who put him before trial. And um, the Jews came up to Caesarea, and they made all these accusations again. He's destroying our faith. He needs to be killed. Felix, who is acquainted with, the, with Christianity, he said, I'll decide your case tomorrow. And he kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off for two years. And the Apostle Paul stayed there. And during those two years, another reason why Felix didn't want to release him is because he wanted to bribe. And he was also afraid of Paul because Paul prophetically confronted him about sinful behavior with, with his, all of his philandering and even his marriage to Drusilla, his wife. 
And so Felix lost his position and Festus came in. Now Festus took over the governorship. And so Festus reopens the case against Paul months, months, months later and says, I think I'm going to send you back down to Jerusalem and settle this matter. And the apostle Paul said, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. Everybody listen to this. He was determined to go. Now he's like, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to make an appeal to Caesar. So he made an appeal to Caesar. And because he was a Roman citizen, that he wants his, his trial transferred to Rome. So once he made that appeal to uh, Festus, who had taken it over, uh, he determines, well, we're going to have to send you to Rome. If that's, but remember, the promise was you're going to Rome. While they were preparing to send him to Rome, a guy named King Agrippa shows up. This is so interesting to me because Paul goes from Jerusalem to Caesarea where he's given his testimony to Festus. Festus gets the daylight scared out of him and he won't touch him. He still wants, he's greedy because he wants a bribe, but it doesn't come. And then Festus is going to send him to, to Rome. And then Agrippa, they called him a king because he was the last one of the Herodian dynasty, a guy named Herod. You remember Herod the Great? Well, this is the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the last one, and he had worked out a deal, so he'd have the title of king. So King Agrippa shows up, and then the Apostle Paul goes through his whole testimony. I'd love for you to see this. Agrippa's there with his sister. In chapter 26, verse 21, this is why some of the Jews seized me. He's telling Agrippa, and they're trying to kill me because of the gospel. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. And I'm, say, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and, and he, that he would uh, be the first to rise from the dead and would bring the message of light to his own people and Gentiles. At this point, Festus is there. Festus is like, Paul, you are crazy. He's like, are you out of your mind? You're, basically, he's like, you're the smartest person I know, but all you're learning is, driving, is driven you insane. This is Festus. And I want, I want you to see this, everybody. For unbelievers, you've got to realize that the message of this superhuman Savior who would suffer and be killed and be buried and in three days be risen from the dead, that's a lot to believe. I remember when I first was evaluating the gospel, whether or not I was going to give the, my life to the Lord, I had, it was hard for me to believe. Am I believing that a, that a dead man has risen from the dead and now he's alive? I just want you to understand this. Our testimony is the testimony of Jesus. That's his testimony. That he suffered, he died, and he's risen. He suffered, he died, and he's risen. Your testimony is, I chose to believe. And when I believe, I got the assurance of salvation, and now I'm all in. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody. But our assignment is just to share the testimony. So, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent bestest. What I'm saying is true. Then Agrippa he confronts Agrippa and says, Agrippa, Agrippa you, are the, you are the king over Palestine. You know about Jesus and everything that happened, and he, and, he, and he did. And then he got so uncomfortable, he finally, he shuts, Agrippa shuts it down and says, do you think, Paul, that in a short time you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? He shuts it down, and he tells Festus, this man's done nothing wrong. 
Those Jews are crazy. Send him to Rome. And so a victory has been had. You would think, I'm going to Rome. Yeah, baby, I'm going to Rome. Raise the sails. I want first-class accommodations. Just give me to Rome. You know what happens on his journey to Rome? He encounters a storm. He goes through a shipwreck. And he gets snake bit on the island of Malta. And you think that things are tough serving Jesus? The apostle Paul has us all beat. The things that this man went through. And I guess, I guess what I want you to see, everybody, is that when you're on assignment, I think it's really important for us, come on, put them up there. Number one, when you're on assignment, you need to recognize the presence of God. Number two, you need to rest in the promises, promises of God. And number three, learn how to rely upon the people of God. What I find so interesting is that when Paul was in his two years of incarceration in Jerusalem, I mean in Caesarea, that the Roman leaders there, they just like, uh, let who, all of his friends that want to come see him, just let him come see him. That Paul made the most of being under Roman guard. He was protected. He wrote parts of the New Testament. Philip and all that crowd that begged him not to go to Jerusalem, now they're ministering to him there. And then number, number four, I want you to see this. I've learned this from the book of Acts. And that is that we should reach for the power of God. I'm not sure why, why Luke invested a chapter and a half on this whole uh, journey at sea. But put the map back up here. Let me just show you, everybody. Whenever he got on the boat, here they went to Sidon they sailed over Cyprus and the storm happened out here it's pretty crazy what happened because they went shipwreck here but the but the whole actually it was here and because here's Malta and so they almost died but they find themselves on shore in a remote island I find this so interesting I just got to read this to you everybody Because when Paul and all of the, there were 200, I think there was 276 that were on board and God had spoken to him and said, they we're not going to lose anybody. And when they were shipwrecked, they swam the shore. And when they got on shore, they were cold and they, and so he started a fire. You, you guys know this story? The snake crawled out of the fire, a viper bit Paul on the hand. He shook it off and all of the islanders who were trying to help him, they're like, well, he's an evil man. He survived the storm just to be killed by a snake. Paul shook it off in the fire. He suffered no ill effects. And the people went from thinking he's a devil that he must be a god. And they tried to worship him. Here's an interesting thing. There was a guy there that helped them recover and he was showing generosity and, when, and, and his father was sick in bed from fever and dysentery. This is, this is Acts 28 verse 8. And Paul went to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. 
And when all of this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came to where they were, and there was a revival broke out, an awakening on the island of the power of God that Jesus saves, but he also heals. I wonder what would happen if a city had legitimate, powerful healings, multiple, that just broke out. Get ready for it, everybody. Just get ready for it. It's so interesting that I think if, if, I've, if I've learned anything in the book of Acts, it's these five things are so, they're, they're so um, emphasized in my heart that we need God's presence. Come on, everybody. We can trust in God's promises. And Paul was never alone. We can rely upon God's people. But we need to reach for the power of God. I'm just encouraging you, everybody, that you're going to encounter some snakes in the fire, some fever and dysentery. There's going to be some things you're going to go through. I think we're too quick to medicate ourselves without praying first. There's a formula right here. It says Paul went to see him, and then after prayer, placed his hands on him and prayed over him, and God healed him. I just, I just want you to see that if we are the people of God, going to be people of power, we need to activate our faith and start trusting in the supernatural power of God to reach our generation. You can give me a big amen right there. And then the book ends with the last portion of Acts 28, verse 17 through 31. Oh, finally, years later, from Jerusalem to Rome shows up in the city. He's under guard in the city, and you know what he did? The very first thing he did is he reached out to the Jewish community that lived in Rome. Go figure. He just always has done that. There's a challenging verse in the book of Romans where the apostle Paul actually said that I loved my Jewish countrymen so much that if it was possible that I could give up my salvation so the nation would be saved, I would give it up. He was so devoted to winning the Jews to Jesus. But he was called to the Gentiles. So you find this at the end of the book of Acts. A bunch of the Jews show up and Paul asks them, have you heard why I was arrested? They didn't even know. Nobody came from Jerusalem to attack him. So he said, I'd love to tell you my story. And they're like, well, we'd love to hear it. So a, a huge group came and found him where he was in house arrest and he shared the whole testimony. A few people believed, but most rejected. And again, in that city, the Jews rejected, Paul went to the Gentiles. And so the book ends abruptly. I'll read this to you, Acts 28, verse 23. And when they had appointed a day for him, All the Jews came to his lodging in great numbers. And from morning to evening, he expounded on the kingdom and tried to convince them from the law of Moses and the prophets that Jesus was the Messiah. They left, verse 30 says, and the apostle Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus with all boldness 
and without hindrance. It's pretty fascinating how it ends. It ends abruptly. And here's the last thing I want to say that I've gleaned from the book of Acts. And that is, don't forget the purposes of God. I, I, I think these, would you just take a look at this, everybody? I think this is the message for us today. Recognize the presence of God and follow it. Rest in the promises of God. Rely upon the people of God. Don't be isolated. Landon said it today. We want you plugged in. Be a part of the community. Reach for the power of God when you are confronted with impossibilities. All things are possible with God. And remember the purposes of God. What is the purpose that you exist for? It's the testimony of Jesus. Paul just set up his ministry headquarters in Rome. And for two years, he paid his own expenses. And he stayed there. And people came from everywhere. He wrote the the prison epistles. Four of them he wrote here. This was before he wrote the general epistles of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And so people ask me all the time, well, what, what happened from there? Well, history says that he left Rome and he went to Spain. And he traveled on what many people say a fourth missionary journey until he was finally arrested. Second Timothy, he talks to Timothy about it. And he was executed for his faith in Rome. But there was a period of time between the end of Acts. And I think, I think it ends this way because... Acts is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit through the church. Let me read this to you, everybody. All the ministry in Acts was prompted and held together by the Holy Spirit. He was working in the lives of ordinary people. Some were merchants and travelers and slavers and slaves, jailers and church leaders and males and females and Gentiles and Jews and rich and poor. Even though the book of Acts ends abruptly, it shows us that the history of the church is not yet complete. Many unsung heroes of the faith would continue in this work through the Spirit in succeeding generations. And I want to put one more thing on the screen. I'd love for the worship team just to come up here with me now. Let me give you one more thing. The book of Acts was written for us. Because it's our time to act. I know there's movement going on and y'all were watching everybody walk up here. But look on the screen, would you everybody? This is a strong conclusion to the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written for us. It's our time to act. We are on assignment And the book of Acts is our call to action. Let me pray for you. Come on, guys. Y'all got the communion elements. Just come on. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the providence of God. That we were chosen even before the foundations of the world were laid, we were chosen to be in you. Our life is not just by chance. We have a destiny in God. 
an assignment, Lord. Help us to live people who are worthy of that assignment. In the name of Jesus. We're going to do communion because there's two things I want you to see. Number one, all of the happenings in Acts was because of the risen Jesus. It was because of his testimony. He lived, he died, he was buried, and he arose from the dead. Don't ever forget it. That's why Jesus said when you gather together, you share bread, you share the fruit of the vine, and you do it in remembrance of me in this new covenant. The second thing I want you to see is that in the book of Acts, you find this incredible new church that was formed of relationships from a diversity of people. Some were Jews, most were Gentiles. But a lot of them were people that didn't like one another, but they formed one new man. And it's amazing how that our fellowship is centered around the cross of Jesus. We are family. And I want us to receive communion as a family. So this is what we're going to do. We're we're going a little bit old school with a modification. There's some trays they're going to pass. And in the tray there are uh, double cups. One has the juice in it, and the other one that's stacked below it has a piece of the bread. So take both cups, and this is preventing you from having to rip something off. Those things were so difficult to deal with. So just go ahead and take it, pass it around. Worship team's going to lead us, and over these next 10 minutes, we're going to share communion together with one another. Come on, guys, with y'all. Lead us in worship. I'll come back in just a moment.